So for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, due to some pitiful excuse like the rugby, we're continuing with our sermon series through the book of Jonah. And uh, last week we watched as God got Jonah's attention. Jonah was asked by God to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. It was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were basically a terrorist state and the sworn enemies of Israel. And understandably, uh, Jonah headed in the completely opposite direction, sort of the modern equivalent or the ancient equivalent rather of Timbuktu, as far away from God as possible. And yet God doesn't give up on Jonah. Jonah sends a storm. When the sailors ask Jonah what they should do to calm the storm, he tells them to pick him up and throw him into the sea, which results in the storm ending and these sailors coming to faith in the living God. So ironic, really, uh, Jonah is trying to run away from being a preacher, ends up preaching and converting a shipload of sailors. Now, we're not quite sure whether by asking to be thrown overboard, Jonah is attempting to run away from God. You know, I still don't want to do this. I'd rather die than doing this. Or whether he's repenting and saying, God, do with me as you will. But I guess either way, ultimately, as we saw last time, Jonah throws himself on God for God to deal with him as God sees fit. And we read that miraculously and marvelously, God does not abandon Jonah. If God wasn't interested in Jonah anymore, then the end of chapter 1 would end very differently and the book would be a whole lot shorter. But Jonah sank down into the sea to the very roots of the mountains, never to be seen again, the end. But it doesn't end in that way, as we saw. Verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God is not finished with Jonah, and God is not finished with you, and God is not finished with me either. We come then to Jonah chapter 2, which is right in the middle of the book. It's the central scene of this story. And we discover that, quite understandably, from inside the great fish, Jonah prays. I'm pretty sure that we would have done so too. But this prayer then becomes the turning point in the book. Let's have a look. Jonah chapter 2, from verse 1 to the end of the chapter. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols 
forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And this is God's word. I remember once watching a Batman movie where Batman and Robin were being attacked by one of their uh, arch nemeses, and they were in real trouble. As far as I recall, they were falling off some building, and uh, there were explosions going on all around. And in the face of certain death, Robin turned to Batman and said, what do we do now? And Batman responded, pray. <laughs> and, and I always remember that scene, um, that in this fantasy world, prayer was still an option. Uh, a last option, but an option nevertheless. I actually remember playing that movie clip uh, in a sermon that I gave as a youth pastor. The title for my sermon was Wittily, Even Superheroes Have to Pray. Unfortunately, in my enthusiasm to share this great video clip, I'd forgotten what the arch nemesis says. And so I played it, and as the two of them were falling, their great villain stood above them and shouted, Burn in hell, Batman! Uh, which kind of, the, the shocked audience uh, just lost the point completely that I was trying to make about prayer. Uh, hence me not showing it this morning. Prayer is often the last resort of the desperate. But in fact, all genuine prayer comes from a place of dependence, if not desperation. The act of prayer itself is an admission that we can't handle this situation by ourselves and that we need the help of someone greater. Unfortunately, many of us only realize this in a crisis uh, in the belly of the fish, as it were, when in fact the gift and the grace of prayer is always there for us. And actually, we're always dependent. So this morning, I'd just like us to look at three characteristics of Jonah's prayer uh, that might be helpful for us. Firstly, we see that this was a solitary prayer. Jonah gets alone with God in quite a dramatic way. And when it's dark, when we've turned away from God, even on our good days, we too need to get alone with God. One writer puts it this way. He says, Jonah got alone with God and the voice of sin, the voice of fame, the voices of others became faint sounds, but the voice of God became loud and clear. And if you've wandered from God and sense you need to renew your faith, then get alone with him. Find a private place to meet with God. You don't need a dramatic event. You just need to be alone with God. Sometimes, like Jonah, we find that we're suddenly and abruptly forced into solitude. Uh, you rupture a disc in your back and find yourself on your back uh, for six weeks. Or you go for a routine checkup and suddenly find yourself in hospital having a stent put in your heart. And often those unexpected forced times of solitude become life-changing. 
You hear people saying things like, that heart attack was the very best thing that happened to me. It changed my entire life. It made me look at life again. It made me reassess and change and give me new priorities. But why wait until you have to have a forced time of solitude? Why not begin now to regularly set aside time to be alone with God? Perhaps first thing on a morning, for a few minutes at midday, maybe a few minutes again before going to bed. We, we spoke about this in our last series. We spoke about taking an entire day uh, to spend with God. We need this alone time with God. Remember Jesus' advice about this in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, who we are told often went and spent time alone with God. He says this in Matthew chapter 5, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Scottish minister Robert Murray McChain put it this way in a rather sobering quote. He said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. Which is perhaps one of the reasons we don't go and spend time quietly alone with God. We're too frightened. But in fact, it's that intimacy and that honesty that changes our lives. Jonah has a quiet, solitary prayer with God. Secondly, what might not be apparent at first glance is that Jonah's prayer is a very biblical prayer. You might say, of course it's biblical, it's in the Bible. But what I mean is that Jonah is quoting scripture in this prayer. None of the phrases in this prayer are original to Jonah. Jonah is praying scripture. More specifically, Jonah is praying the Psalms. Have a look. Psalm 120 verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Psalm 42, verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Psalm 31, verse 22. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Psalm 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. Psalm 31, verse 6. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. Psalm 50, verse 14. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Jonah is praying the Psalms. And I think this is so important for us because it gives us an important tool for prayer. Many people say, I, I don't know how to pray. Well, there's an entire book that can teach us how to pray. The Psalms give us the vocabulary for prayer as well as the subject matter for prayer as well. You'll notice that Jonah begins by speaking about his own personal situation, but his, far, his prayer is far wider and far broader as he looks towards God. 
Eugene Peterson points out in one of his books that the well of prayer is deep and many of us don't have a container that can hold water. We battle to know what to pray for and how to pray. The Psalms are that container. They teach us. St. Ambrose suggested that the Psalms are a gymnasium for prayer. In fact, that's why traditionally the church has always prayed the Psalms. And many denominations go through the entire book once a month in their liturgies and services. In fact, for about 1,800 years, the church only had the Psalms as their devotional book. Let me read a couple more comments from Eugene Peterson. He puts it quite well. He says, our culture presents us with forms of prayer that are mostly self-expression, pouring ourselves out before God or lifting our gratitude to God as we feel the need and have the occasion. Such prayer is dominated by a sense of self. But prayer, mature prayer, is dominated by a sense of God. Through the Psalms, the Spirit leads us to get us out of ourselves, to rescue our prayers from self-absorption and set us on the way to God responsiveness. The Psalms are the school for people learning to pray. Fundamentally, prayer is our response to the God who speaks to us first, and we need to learn how to answer God. How do we do this? We don't know the language. We learn well enough how to speak to our parents and pass examinations in our schools, but answering God? Are we going to make do by trial and error? Are we going to get by on what we overhear in the streets? Israel and the church put the Psalms into our hands and say, here, this is our textbook. Practice these prayers so that you will learn the full range and the vast depth of your lives in response to God. It's well worth our grounding ourselves in great prayers. Definitely the, the prayers of the Bible first, and besides the book of Psalms, there are many other great prayers that are recorded for us in Scripture, the prayers of Jesus, uh, the prayers of Paul. But there are other great prayers as well. I've really enjoyed Kurt Bjorklund's book, Prayers for Today, uh, that we're doing in our weekly devotions on our classic WhatsApp group. Uh, it includes prayers that have stood the test of time, prayed by men and women of great prayer. There's all the difference in the world between God, we're like really glad to come into your presence this evening, and Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our heart by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Now, don't get me wrong. The cry of a baby is just as passionate as a Shakespearean sonnet, and to a mother it's even more precious than a Shakespearean sonnet. And in his teaching on prayer, Jesus warned us against using fancy words in prayer to impress others. There's nothing wrong with heartfelt prayer. But I think you'll agree that there's more depth and richness to a Shakespearean sonnet than a baby's cry. And we don't want our children to gurgle and coo for the rest of their lives. We want them to talk in sentences. And in times of difficulty... It's those more mature sentences, the learned prayers of the Bible, that carry us through. 
That was certainly Jonah's experience. It's interesting that in the very depths, Jonah doesn't rely on heartfelt, spontaneous prayer, but rather on the tried and tested prayers of the Bible, the Psalms. In his moment of deepest distress, he doesn't rely on spontaneous prayer, but rather on learned prayer. And if we want to grow in prayer, we can learn the vocabulary and the subject matter. Thirdly, we can say that this is a repentant prayer. Now, it might not appear to be that at first glance, because nowhere do we find Jonah saying, I'm sorry. But in fact, true repentance is not merely saying sorry. It's far more fundamental than that. That doesn't mean that we don't express sorrow to God or feel sorrow when we repent. But it does mean that there are more important steps. In fact, those of you who've got small children will know this. You want your children to say that they're sorry, but you want a great deal more than that as well, don't you? In essence, repentance means turning away from things that are not God and turning instead in faith to God. Turning from things that are not God and turning in faith to God. We see those two things in Jonah's prayer. Firstly, there's a turning from. In verse 8, Jonah prays, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of that could be theirs. What's an idol? Well, it's something that we rely on to save us. And we can rely on a variety of different things. Our intelligence, our physical strength, our occupation, our bank balance, our medical aid, our gap cover for our medical aid, our investments, our position, our CV, when we find ourselves in difficulties, we often rely on those things to save us. But there's another idol that often goes unrecognized, and that's the idol of our own goodness. We tend to uh, try and make ourselves acceptable to God through our good works. And whenever we think or say, Lord, you should help me because, then we know we're relying on our goodness. Genuine repentance takes place when we stop trying to save ourselves, when we stop relying on ourselves, even for our own goodness, and we trust in God alone. Which leads then to that second step in repentance, turning from idols and turning to God. Faith and repentance always go together then. We turn from our idols and we place our faith in God alone. As someone has defined faith, forsaking all, I trust him. We recognize that God alone can save us. And the story of Jonah in The Great Fish vividly illustrates this. Jonah is completely helpless in this dank, dark, stinking prison cell. That picture, all of those beautiful pictures, you know, sea reed was wrapped around my head, I sank to the roots of the mountains. He's completely helpless. He can do nothing to save himself. He acknowledges that God alone can rescue. Verse 2, from the depths of the grave I called for help and you listened to my cry. Verse 6, but you brought my life up from the pit. O oh Lord my God. 
And then verse 9, which is the key verse in Jonah's prayer, and in one sense is the central verse of the Bible. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. We can't end this sermon without having a quote from Tim Keller, can we? <laughs> he puts it this way in his book. Salvation belongs to God alone, to no one else. If someone is saved, it is wholly God's doing. It's not a matter of God saving you partly and you saving yourself partly. No, God saves us. We do not and cannot save ourselves. That's the gospel. You may be filled with regret for the past, or you may be living with a sense of great failure. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you were a hundred times worse than you are, your sins would be no match for his mercy. If you feel, I wish I were more worthy, you still don't understand it. He is your worthiness. If you say, I want him in my life, but I don't see him working, you still don't understand. If you want him at all, that is God working in your life. You're not capable of wanting him on your own. Salvation is of the Lord. And so just those three points from this prayer, the need for us to get alone with God, the need for us to learn prayer through the Psalms, and the need for us to repent. There's a tribe of Indians in America that used to, I don't know if they still do, but used to have a very interesting initiation ceremony for young Indian braves. As 12, 13-year-olds, these teenagers would go uh, out into the forest with the elders, and after a period of teaching and training um, and you know, learning all the skills, there would be one final test. Uh, these young men would be taken out into the forest alone, they would be blindfolded, they'd be led into the forest, they didn't know where they were, and they were told that they could only remove the blindfold after five minutes, and then they would have to sit exactly where they were until dawn, no movement. Now for many, this would be the first time in their lives that they would be away from home. This would be the first time that they hadn't slept in their own tent with their families. And as you can imagine, this young Indian brave would have been terrified. As he sat there in the darkness, every twig that snapped, uh, he would imagine a wild animal ready to pounce. Uh, every time an animal howled, he would imagine a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Uh, every time the wind blew, he wondered what other noises it was covering up. And eventually, after what must have seemed a lifetime of sitting there, the air would get colder just before dawn. And then this young man would see the sky begin to brighten. The boy would see the forest begin to take shape. He would see the grass, see the flowers, see the outlines, see the path. And then to his total surprise and astonishment, he would see the figure of a man standing just a few feet away from him, armed with a bow and arrow. It was the boy's father who'd been with him all night long. And in the same way, God never leaves us in the darkness. Maybe the darkness is something that has come upon us. Maybe the darkness is something that we have chosen for ourselves. God never leaves us in the darkness. He is there all along. 
He is with us. He is for us. And we can turn to him at any time.